Hi, this is Doug Hooley, and you're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast. This is episode number 17 in the series titled, Choose Your Jesus Wisely, which is based on the second book I wrote called, False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. Today, I'm going to talk about if what I've been saying is true, whose problem is it to fix? You know, when I've spoken to people about the issues I've been raising in this series and how so many problems are evident in what we call church, a common response has been, well, how can we fix it? As though a few mortal human beings that have become aware of the issues can change the hearts and minds of hundreds of millions of people, few of which, according to Scripture, are authentic children of God, and many others who are not, but both making up the traditional church today. Of course, I have a lot to say about this topic in my new book, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus, which I hope to have released by the end of this coming fall, 2022. Is that right? Yes. 2022. Yes. 2022. Probably like October. I'm hopeful for. Anyway, realizing that to really fix the problem would rock the church as we know it to its core, some I've spoken to jump to the conclusion that the church today would cease to exist. This naturally causes anxiety. What about all the services the churches provide? I've been asked that. Who's going to bury me? Who's going to marry my kids off if the church doesn't exist anymore? Who would take care of those things? What would take the place of the church? Who would tell people about Jesus? Someone in the Bible study group I attend suggests that if I were to suddenly become the pastor of the largest Baptist church in the city I live close to, and immediately started to address the issues that I've raised in this podcast, that within a couple of weeks, I would be passionately driven out of that church. (laughs) I suggested that if it were 400 years ago, the consequences would be more likely to suffer something like being burnt at the stake. But (laughs) either way, becoming a pastor of any traditional church is an extremely unlikely scenario for me. Another in the Bible study asked why I would be enthusiastically asked to leave the church or burnt at the stake. (laughs) I explained that on the very first Sunday, I would inform everyone that I would do my best to impart what I've discovered in the scriptures to them, like I do on this podcast. But, and like listeners to this podcast, you or they should never only take my word for what the Bible says. I would inform them that they are responsible as individuals for doing the work of God, which is to believe in the one true authentic Jesus of the Bible. That means that they need to take responsibility for seeking and knowing God themselves. I would tell them that using the popular Christianized inductive Bible study method, like we discussed in an earlier podcast, leads to deceptive, self-centered conclusions. And I recommend against ever using it. I'd explain that our purpose for coming together as a group is to support and love one another 
while we accomplish our primary goal, to know God better and maintain hope in the things that he said. And I would tell them that over the next few months, I would be attempting (laughs) to tear down their entire religious paradigm that they've been exposed to since their youth. My approach would not be subtle. One might suggest that it would be better to win people over first, and then, after gaining their trust, I could attempt to influence them. I would never purposefully alienate or offend anyone, as I don't try to do on this podcast. You know, the last episode with my imitations of people, maybe <laughs> maybe I came close to that, but it wasn't my intention. My intention was to illustrate the many forms that Christianity takes. So anyway, I would be as gentle as I could be, but I could not try to win people over at the expense of not speaking the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Of course, that's speaking to people within the ecclesia or the church. I cannot knowingly support the worship of false gods. That would be like going into Ephesus in the first century and becoming a priest in the temple of Artemis and deciding it would be best to go along with the congregation to gain their trust first by worshiping Artemis alongside them. Then, eventually and subtly, suggesting that sex with temple prostitutes and making animal sacrifices to the pagan multi-breasted statue (laughs) is not what God wants them to be doing. People see the problem as how we turn today's traditional churches into something that Jesus would be happy with. But such a problem is too large for any single group of humans to fix It's obviously a problem only Jesus can take care of. After all, it's his church. Or is it his church? Or is it some other Jesus' church? If the church is off track to the point of worshiping false gods, why isn't Jesus fixing it already? Why is he, in many cases, allowing the problem to run wildly out of control? This is an extremely important point. Although the problem may be large and Jesus' problem to handle, perhaps people are focusing on the wrong thing. What constitutes Jesus' church has got to be better understood. Just because a group of people erect a building, put a cross on it, and utter the name Jesus in the confines of that building, does not mean that anyone within its walls is a part of the group of authentic children of God that Jesus would recognize as his called-out ones, his ecclesia, what you commonly know as the church. The institution may provide the services of marrying and burying, just like my friend says that he hopes that they will always do. They may be feeding the hungry, and engaging in all sorts of good works in the community, and they may have 600 members warming their pews on Sunday mornings. A local church may even be part of a worldwide conference of churches. None of these things obligates Jesus to view any such brick-and-mortar institution 
as a part of what he thinks of as his ecclesia. Jesus' church is made up of individual, authentic children of God who have been individually called out of the world, one by one, to follow him. The word commonly translated in the Bible as church is ecclesia. It's made up of two words, which together means called out. You know, the called out cafe. It's what, it's what the name of this podcast is based on. The ecclesia is made up of called out ones, whether they're individuals or a group of individuals, like a local cell or community of ecclesia. These are people who have been called out and set apart or made holy, which is what holy means, being set apart, for Jesus. Ecclesia was the word used in ancient Greece to denote people who'd been called out from the community to serve a special purpose, like serving on some kind of ad hoc committee deciding if they're going to go to war or if they should build a public work like a sewage system or something like that. Although ecclesia can refer to a gathering, like of two or more people, of called out ones, typically a different word like synagogue was used to denote the gathering together in one location of a group of people. So to say ecclesia does just, just doesn't denote or mean a gathering of people. You can be a member of the First Baptist Church and still not be a member of Jesus' ecclesia. On the other hand, you may not attend any church institution at all and haven't for years and be a member in good standing of Jesus' ecclesia. Jesus does not look at a local body of believers that the way that people do. People see steeples, pews, and baptistries. They see preachers, choirs. Jesus sees reborn spirits who know his voice. When Jesus looks at his ecclesia, or called out ones, in Portland, Oregon on a Sunday morning, he might see a few of them sitting in the pews in the First Baptist Church, a few more over at the Lutheran and Methodist Church, and many more at other various churches. Some members of his body will be on their couches at home, <laughs> and others may be standing in the Columbia River with a fly pole in their hands. Yet more may be sleeping in at the local mission. No doubt, Jesus would recognize other of his called out ones warming the seats in the Roman Catholic churches, as well as some in the Mormon church, and a day earlier in the Kingdom Hall of the Jehovah Witnesses. It may be that there will be a few church organizations or institutions in operation on Sunday mornings where Jesus would not recognize anyone there as his own. Maybe Jesus would recognize the pastor of a church institution as one of his own, or maybe he would recognize some of them to be priests of false gods. The name of Jesus is not trademarked. People are free to misuse his name in whatever way they choose, intentionally or unintentionally. I hear it used as a swear word all the time. Jesus didn't tell us that he would defend his name or what goes on in his name. People are free to attach all sorts of wrong doctrines to it. He did, however, strongly warn his followers about people misusing his name, doing false good works in it, and spreading 
false gospels. Do not expect Jesus anytime soon to rush to the aid of institutions simply because they are adorned with crosses on their buildings. Why would Jesus want to save organizations which are misusing his name? Maybe such establishments were founded by authentic children of God who had the purest of motivations, but sadly, that has no bearing on what may be taking place within them now. We should also not look at if a church is on the right track or not simply because their numbers are swelling or that they're well thought of by the community that they're located in or it looks like God has blessed them in some great way. According to scripture, Satan is still the God of this world until Jesus returns and puts him under his feet. Satan has caused many institutions in this world that he's the prince of to be very successful. After Satan's attempts to destroy the church from the outside by persecution, you know, there were 10 great persecutions up until the time of Constantine at the hands of Rome. He then he moved inside the church uh, also early on and started trying to destroy it through false teaching from within. You know, Gnosticism uh, was a big teaching that attempted to throw the church off track. Well, those two things, having been not entirely successful, well, in the fourth century, when Constantine has had his alleged conversion experience, which he didn't actually become a Christian until the end of his life through baptism. Anyway, it was as though when he said that the church is okay with me now, it's going to be allowed to go on. It wasn't the official uh, religion until a later emperor, but he said that Christianity would then be legal, and he started building churches himself. He started paying salaries. He set aside Sunday for worship. It was as though Satan, through Rome, which was considered the uh, kingdom of an antichrist, but through Rome... Satan was saying, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And he started working from the inside. The church or ecclesia that Jesus recognizes and is very concerned with is not made up of bricks and mortar. His ecclesia or church is made up of human beings or what the apostle Peter called living stones. And they're spread out all over the world. The living stones that make up the ecclesia are not discerned by the naked eye. This church, that only Jesus can truly recognize, has been called the invisible church. Augustine of Hippo was an early Christian theologian, philosopher, and writer. His works are still very widely cited today. He was born in a Roman province in North Africa. He's credited to be one of the first to formally document recognition that there is an invisible church with, which exists. He referred to it as the corpus permixtum, or mixed body. Augustine thought of the church as being made up of two cities which are entangled together in this world and intermixed until the last judgment effects their separation. That's a quote. One heavenly city is made up of residents belonging to God, and the other city from below is made up of residents belonging to Satan. 
I think that Augustine got close, but the actual city above is the actual ecclesia, and the city below is what I'm calling the church. Although Jesus didn't label it the invisible church or the mixed body, several times he pointed out that there is a difference between those who may think they are Christians from those who are his true followers. For example, there's a difference between those who call Jesus their Lord and even do good works in his name and those who truly have made Jesus their Lord. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Next, the explanation of the parable of the seeds found in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 to 15, points out that not everyone who has had a salvation experience has really been adopted as an authentic child of God. We also know that people who come in the name of Jesus can still be deceivers. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 24, verse 4 to 6. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Like we've talked about in early episodes, a common way to translate the word prophet in the New Testament is preacher. Well, many preachers will come and deceive many. Matthew 24, 11 says, Then many false prophets, or preachers, will rise up and deceive many. And Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. According to one parable Jesus told, If you don't have an invitation to the wedding, you're not welcome at the wedding feast. Because although many are called, few are chosen. The wedding alluded to in the following passage I'm going to read represents the kingdom of heaven. This is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 11 to 14. It says this, But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The invisible church or ecclesia of Jesus is alive and well today. It's made up of sinners who've been declared righteous and holy by Jesus. They're all over the world. Some members, I used air quotes there, of this invisible church attend institutional, traditional churches, and some do not. They know Jesus as their living Lord and Master and rely on Him as their Savior. Jesus knows each one of them intimately and is lovingly watching over and caring for them. They are those who legitimately bear his name, the name of the authentic Jesus of the Bible. Wherever and whenever two or three of them gather together, they come together, they get together in the name of Jesus, 
you know, for the purpose of talking about him or discussing him or learning about him or world events in light of what he said. It's there and then that constitutes a true and authentic gathering of the church of Jesus, the ecclesia, the called out, the synagogue of the ecclesia. It's among the invisible church of Jesus that's made up of individuals who are the elect of God that I would expect to see Jesus taking purposeful corrective action among if any needs to be taken, not within an earthly human-made institution. However, from my limited human perspective, I may have very little knowledge about what Jesus is doing among the members of his invisible church. God's Holy Spirit will lead his individual called out ones into truth and away from deception. Unless one is the subject of that leading of the Holy Spirit, he or she may not ever be aware that God is working among his other children in that way. Jesus won't fix a religious organization's attendance problems or charitable giving campaign just because they have a cross on the door. There are many empty churches that have been turned into museums, bed and breakfasts, and archaeological sites that serve as monuments of this. If Jesus isn't concerned about fixing broken human institutions, which have stolen his identity, (laughs) why should I be? I trust him to do whatever it is that needs to be done among the individuals who make up his invisible church. But if I'm a member of that church or ecclesia, if I'm a member of his called out people, do I have a role to play in what Jesus is doing? Well, of course I do. (laughs) What I need to primarily concern myself with regarding the issues raised in this podcast series is what I have control over, the status of my own heart. I need to do the work he set out for me to do. What's that? Well, it's to believe in him. If Jesus wants to use me in some way beyond that, it's up to him. If you want to attempt to fix or salvage a religious institution, that's up to you. But please, don't get mission statements confused with God's word. And please don't get a brick-and-mortar, man-made, perishable institution confused with Jesus' imperishable ecclesia. I'm going to discuss what your part and my part in all this may be in the next episode of this series. There's only two more episodes of this series remaining. The next one is the last regular episode, and then the final episode will be based on the appendix in the book that I wrote, uh, False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. After that, it's my intention to take a break for the summer and, Lord willing, return in the fall. I'll probably be back with a new podcast, unless I do a special edition here and there during the summer, around October. I won't really be taking much of a break, (laughs) as you might think of it. Uh, Like I've said before, harvest of our blueberries is upon us. Angela and I will be really busy, probably starting about the end of June or the first part of July for about a month with our blueberry harvest and distributing those. 
hopefully we'll get some help out of the grandkids. <laughs> but, you know, there's 500 plants, and so that's about 400 gallons between the two of us that we'll end up having to pick and distribute. So it's a busy time. We look forward to it at the beginning of the season. <laughs> and By the end of it, we're really glad when it's done. Um, and then we've got a wedding that's going to take place on our property this summer that we're getting ready for. And, of course, I'm working on still trying to get together my new book. There's a lot of work left to be done on that, and hopefully I'll be able to do that. But towards the end of the summer, we plan on taking a trip to Scotland, uh, Lord willing, and the COVID don't rise, with my oldest daughter, Rachel, and her lovely family. Her husband, Dan, has agreed to do the driving over there on the wrong side of the road, and so he can't pass that up. And so when all of that's done, we get back and I, uh, get our, we get our life back on uh, in track and we're on our feet, then uh, I'll probably start putting out uh, some more podcasts. Um, so because of that, because of this break, if you want to join me again in the fall, you'll want to make sure that your podcast service you're using is set to notify you of new episodes. You can also follow me on the Doug Hooley Ministries Facebook page or my Twitter account where I post notices of each new episode. My next series will likely be based on my new book, uh, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. It's really, really important stuff. I, I can't express how important it is. You know, I've spent five years doing all the research and writing of it. And, you know, I'm a believer, of course, that it's important stuff. But you won't want to miss it. So until the next episode, there's two episodes remaining. May God richly bless you. And Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Thank you.